0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Back in 2008, on the anniversary of Kristallnacht, uh, the terrible night in Germany, 1938, which destroyed 267 synagogues, rounded up 30,000 Jewish men for concentration camps, and destroyed many, many Jewish businesses. I spoke with Mitchell Bard, Executive Director of the American-Israeli Cooperative Enterprise and Director of the Jewish Virtual Library. He's authored many books, including an oral history of Kristallnacht called 48 Hours of Kristallnacht. Uh, He's also put together the complete Holocaust history. I wanted to go back to my conversation with him and also remind you that Catholics were not entirely silent. In the United States, for instance, on November 16th, roughly a week after Kristallnacht, Catholic University of America brought together several prominent Catholics to protest the Nazi actions against uh, Jews. Uh, Those speakers included Archbishop Murray of San Francisco, Archbishop Ireton of Richmond, Bishop Gannon of Erie, and former Governor of New York, Al Smith. It was uh, a protest carried on both CBS and NBC radio. And you can even listen to a clip of it if you go to the uh, Commonweal website. Let's uh, get on, though, to my conversation with Mitchell Bard. Mitchell, it's good to have you back. Thanks. Always good to be with you. What do we hear in the oral histories that we don't usually get by reading, uh, you know, an encyclopedia description?
1: Well, it's the personal horror, the personal witness of the terrible things that happened that night. Too often, the Holocaust, as horrible as it comes across, is very dry and statistical. And until you read the, the actual personal experiences, especially of... People who were children at the time, you can't fully comprehend, I think, the magnitude of the horrors of those times.
0: Where did you uh, call your memories here?
1: Well, the vast majority of them were already recorded in a variety of different places, most of which never had been published. Uh, the largest body of them came from the interviews done by the Shoah Foundation. Where they uh, interviewed uh, 50,000 survivors, and several thousand of them uh, experienced Kristallnacht. And there were several other accounts given in uh, memoirs and other archives in the Holocaust Museum and some other books that have been written. But there were many stories that I don't think have ever been told, and they're really quite uh, dramatic and frightening.
0: By 1938, there was already concern, wasn't there? I mean, Jewish emigration began as early as 1933, I think.
1: Well, after Hitler came to power, it takes long for the Nazis to begin to impose a variety of restrictive laws on the Jewish community. By the time of Kristallnacht, there was something on the order of 400 different regulations of different types meant to isolate the Jewish people to intimidate them, to encourage them to leave. But none of that was violent. They were all uh, legislative measures, and it wasn't really until Kristallnacht that there was open tax against Jewish individuals, their property, their synagogues. And what made it particularly striking was that it was in plain view of everyone, that every German knew and every Austrian knew what was going on. Many of them watched as the stormtroopers rampaged through the streets, through people's homes, and set fire to the synagogues, and some even participated in those activities. So it was the one time in the war when all of the people, the citizens, were a part of what was taking place and couldn't claim to be ignorant and not to know.
0: What was the pretext for this?
1: Well, the main pretext, uh, and they didn't really need one, there was the desire to uh, teach the Jews a lesson anyway, but there was a case in which a uh, young Jew who was living in Paris at the time was infuriated after the Nazis in October of '38, had deported his family along with uh, thousands of other Jews of Polish uh, descent to the Polish border and mistreated them there. And that uh, young man, after hearing what happened to his family, went to the German embassy in Paris with the intention of shooting the ambassador and basically shot the first diplomat he saw, which was a third secretary named uh, von Rath. And after that, the Nazis used that as a rallying point for, quote-unquote, expressing the anger of the German people. And uh, Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister, was the principal instigator of this.
0: So, are there written orders that we have been able to discover today, or yeah, have...
1: there were definitely orders given. Some yeah. of the some of the instructions were oral. Uh, we don't have, as in the case of the Holocaust in general, a order directly from Hitler. We just know right. that he was right. there at the time, uh, that he spoke to Goebbels, and that, by all accounts, uh, was aware of what was planned. There are orders. Uh, In my book, 48 Hours of Kristallnacht, in the appendix, we have the actual orders that went out for some of the attacks. And a lot of it was just a kind of wink and a nod where the Nazi stormtroopers knew that this is what they were supposed to do and no one was going to stop them.
0: Uh, How well integrated into Jewish and Austrian society were Jews? Were there separatist communities? In other words, if I'm there November 9th, what am I going to see? Or is it something that it's only taking place in Jewish communities?
1: No, the Jews were a part of mainstream Mainstream, German and Austrian societies. In fact, they were the elite in many of the societies. They were doctors, lawyers, they were prominent uh, scientists, uh, academics. But through the measures that the Nazis implemented over the years prior to and then immediately after Kristallnacht, they were gradually stripped uh, of their job, thrown out of universities. Uh, their properties were Aryanized—that that is, taken over by mm-hmm. the state. But up until November 8th, ninth, 10th, uh, many of these people still had prominent positions. Uh, they owned major uh, department stores and other businesses, and so they were the neighbors. They okay. were the merchants. They were people who, everyday Germans and Austrians, so worked with every day and uh, who frequented their businesses and stores.
0: Would it have been immediately clear that it was Jews, Jewish businesses that were being targeted?
1: Yeah, there was no question that uh, there were plenty of uh, examples of things being written on the stores, Jews out. Uh, mm-hmm. There were towns where the Jews were marched through the streets uh, with signs on their, uh, on their, around their necks and, uh, Chance against them, being forced to run through gauntlets. There were stores that were clearly known to be owned by Jews, and the fact that uh, synagogues everywhere, even in small towns where there were few Jews left, were being set on fire. The holy relics, the Torah scrolls, uh, the prayer books would be set on fire, sometimes thrown out into the streets, and children would stomp on them. It was something that was clearly aimed solely at the Jewish people.
0: So so then, after this event, what is the public rationale for it? I, does Hitler say, uh, well, you know, we can't contain the wrath of the uh, German people?
1: That was basically the line of the government. Uh, yeah, That was the pe- propaganda line. Was, yeah. uh, this was the popular yeah. anger yeah. of the people. We can't stop this. And... Uh, The reality was that very few Germans were prepared to stand up and to protest or to protect Jews. In 48 Hours of Kristallnacht, I do have a chapter just talking about some of the instances where people did protect Jews and did stand up, but with the exception of a couple of church leaders, the church was silent, other German institutions were silent. You had uh, heroic gestures by people like the boxing champion, Max Schmeling, who hit some Jews in his home for several days. Uh, So those were the exception, unfortunately. The vast majority of the people uh, saw what the German state was capable of and how it was able to intimidate those who uh, stood up against it. But again, the, the people who showed courage and had the moral backbone to take some steps, uh, in some cases made a difference. There was a German uh, uh, policeman, for example, who told his wife he was going out to prevent a terrible crime from being committed, and he took his gun and stood in front of the synagogue in his town, basically warded off the uh, mobs from and prevented them from destroying that synagogue. Wow.
0: So resistance was not impossible
1: wasn't impossible, but it uh, was very rare, and uh, this was the case throughout uh, the period of the Nazis, that we know that even during the Holocaust, there were cases where people uh, refused to follow orders to kill Jews, and nothing happened to them, but there was always this perception that that was not something that they could do.
0: Uh, How how did, uh, well, let's start with children, or, or parents and children, how did parents, speak to their children on November 11th or November 10th?
1: Well, there was not a lot they could say to them. Uh, In some cases, there was no father or brother or uncle to speak to them because 30,000 men were arrested and sent to concentration camps. Uh, Many of the children and the wives didn't know where their loved ones were taken, and Mm. some didn't. Returned for several weeks or months, they they often had to be ransomed uh, to get out of uh, the camps. Uh, there was uh, not a lot you could tell a child who would watch as their uh, house was ransacked, uh, all of their possessions uh, thrown out the window, uh, their parents thrown down the stairs and beaten. It was something that was incomprehensible to a child. Mm.
0: The arrests, there were many arrests made over those two days?
1: That's right. Uh, About 30,000 men were sent to concentration camps. Others Mm -hmm. were arrested and released before being sent to a camp.
0: And what was the pretense there? I mean, you know, I I mean, I understand the the racial hatred, but I'm saying usually there's a, you know, you try to come up with, the, the, the government tries to come up with some kind of reason why these particular people were arrested on this particular night.
1: Well, they didn't explain it to anyone, okay. but the, the reason primarily was twofold. One was to try to scare the Jews and encourage them to leave. At this point, the camps were not designed as extermination centers. They There were a number of people who died, and they were horrible places, but the main intent of the Nazis at that time was to encourage Jews to leave Germany and Austria. The other purpose was basically to steal their possessions, where they would either outright take the businesses and property that belonged to the Jews they arrested, or they would uh, force the Jews to sell at uh, bargain basement prices to them, or otherwise uh, uh, ransom their possessions.
0: Hmm. Mitchell, can you hang on for a little while? Sure, thanks. My guest, Dr. Mitchell Bard. 48 Hours of Kristallnacht, Night of Destruction, Dawn of the Holocaust, and Oral History. Good afternoon, I'm Al Crest, and with me, Dr. Mitchell Bard, 48 Hours of Kristallnacht, Night of Destruction, Dawn of the Holocaust, and Oral History. How widespread was the news of crystal knocked. In other words, today it'd be CNN would be reporting it. Everybody would see it. Did people believe these were local incidents, or were they aware that this was, uh, you know, a nationwide effort?
1: This was something that uh, was well known inside and outside of uh, the Third Reich. Inside, uh, the Nazis made no secret; they published in their party papers exactly what had happened although with their own spin on it. But the international press also published what had happened, unlike Mm -hmm. what you sometimes read about uh, during the Holocaust, that uh, the world didn't know or that the press didn't publish it. This was on the front page of world newspapers. Uh, The New York Times had a front page story. Uh, The British press all had uh, prominent coverage, over a 1,000 Editorials were written criticizing the Nazis, so there was no secret about what had happened. In fact, polls were taken where 94% of Americans said they disapproved of the Nazi treatment of Jews.
0: Did the persecution of the Jews ever reach this level of public awareness uh, again until after the war?
1: Probably This was the height of it until much later. After one of the lessons of what happened from all of the publicity was that the Nazis learned that they should hide what they were doing. And that was part of the reason for the more uh, secretive way that they carried out the final solution. But for me, one of the most uh, shocking and horrifying aspects of the whole story is the failure of the world to react after it learned what happened. That is, once they saw what Hitler was capable of doing, uh, their unwillingness to act hmm. uh, was, I think, what ultimately allowed Hitler to conclude no one would stop Nobody him later. So. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot that could have been done without going to war against the Germans, that simply by opening the gates to immigrants They could have saved uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, especially children. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. U.S. Senate was prepared to pass legislation to allow 20,000 Jewish children into the United States. Uh, Great Britain, Belgium, Holland took about 10,000 Jewish children, but the United States ended up uh, rejecting that legislation.
0: It's a very ugly, that's a very ugly moment in American history. It was,
1: and I think uh, President Roosevelt uh, deserves a lot of the blame. Mm -hmm. But he was reflecting the popular will. He said a moment ago, 94% uh, condemned Nazi treatment of Jews, but 72% of the public opposed letting large numbers into the United States, and about two-thirds opposed that legislation to bring children in on an emergency basis. Yeah. And there were a variety of reasons. One was we were just coming out of the Great Depression. There was a lot of concern about letting immigrants into the country and how that would impact the economic recovery. There was a certain degree of xenophobia. Uh, There was a significant amount of anti-Semitism at the time. And in the case of the legislation specifically, uh, the argument that would also be used by the State Department later was, we don't want to treat Jews... Uh, differently from the rest. We don't want to single them out as special. Uh, They were afraid that if they let uh, children in, eventually parents would want to come in too. They had a variety of different excuses, and the end result was it condemned uh, hundreds of thousands of people to death.
0: After there's a huge event like this, the world is aware of it. Editorials are written. There are photographs. How does an event like this get off the radar. In other words, you would say to yourself, if Hitler is willing and capable of doing this, obviously he has malicious designs for the future of this people.
1: Uh, oh, it's even worse, Al, uh, because he explicitly says in January 39 that he basically plans to exterminate the Jewish people. Uh, he, in his major speech to celebrate his uh, the anniversary of coming to power in 33 or 32, uh, he gives a, a, a speech before the Reichstag to uh, say that he's prepared to destroy the Jewish people. And his foreign ministry foreign minister uh, said at the time that this was the beginning of uh, the solution to the Jewish problem. So there was really little doubt about what Hitler intended, but people uh, weren't willing to believe even after they saw it with their own eyes.
0: Was it an imaginative problem? I mean, I, you know, I'm far removed from it myself. I'm on this side of the event, but at the same time, I—I I mean, today we're so we're fairly sensitized. I think when we hear words that sound genocidal, there's. Some kind of action taken, at least in Europe and North America. Well, South I'm not America. sure that we
1: have learned. Uh, we're, we're being tested at this very moment by the president of Iran. Uh, a lot of people don't like the yeah. notion of comparing him to Hitler, but he is using the same kind of terminology yeah, that's about true. threatening that's to destroy the Jewish people, to, to uh, destroy Israel. And uh, the question before the world now is, are we going to do anything about it? Mm-hmm. Are we going to allow him to obtain a nuclear weapon that will allow him to carry out his threat? Yeah. And there are a lot of people who want to dismiss it as just rhetoric.
0: Well, actually, I mean... There, there,
1: That's the lesson we, you know, a lot of us take, and I certainly take from...
0: Yeah. Uh, history of world war ii uh, and of course if, if iran was filled with the jews we'd be more concerned though the question i have related to this though is the continued publication of the protocols of the elders of zion the extraordinary anti-semitism i mean anti-semitism runs thick at prestigious universities in the middle east well uh, the
1: uh, protocols is a bestseller in the middle east yeah so uh, I, I, you have someone like uh, the president of Iran again, who denies that the Holocaust took place. You have him uh, expressing uh, Elders of Zion type views, and it's uh, a very widespread phenomena in the Middle East that I think has shaped whole generations of Arab and Muslim views towards right. Jews.
0: See that now. Well, my first thought is, yeah, that's right, uh, but it seems very far away. It's not European. if you know what I'm saying, it just seems far away. Did Americans feel the same kind of distance from Germans that I might feel from Egyptians? Well, I think
1: uh, there's uh, certainly much closer affinity between uh, Americans and other Western societies than perhaps between American and Eastern societies. Uh, They're I think, was a, a lot more affinity because so many German people of German descent uh, lived in the United States, and people from other parts of Europe who lived in the United States. So I don't think it was so remote, but we were at that time very inward-looking. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, it's something that you worry about today when you have... Uh, political officials arguing that we need to withdraw from the world, that we shouldn't uh, be as active internationally, that we shouldn't be an international policeman or shouldn't stand up for the uh, downtrodden. So it's, uh, it's a lesson that still needs to be learned, and that's one of the reasons I wrote 48 Hours of Kristallnacht, is I wanted to remind people of what happened and what can happen when good people allow evil to happen.
0: Yeah. Now, if our ears uh, were not able to hear the cries in 1938 uh, when we were talking about uh, an America that had many people of German descent, how much more difficult is it to hear it today, hear those cries today, when the threats are coming from societies and peoples that we feel less cultural compatibility with?
1: Well, I think uh, it also is a, a reminder, though, that uh, some of those cultures uh, have people who have very radical views towards us and yeah. mean us yeah. ill. Yeah. Uh, by no means all of them, and it's not necessarily a purely cultural or religious uh, element of those societies. But there are people who mean us ill, and that we have to be prepared to understand that's their intent and to stand up against
0: it. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's just I still think in light of all that's been published and written on matters of this sort since uh, 2001, that m- many Americans uh, don't feel that much more sensitized to the threat that's out there. It's a shame. Well,
1: I think we have short memories. Uh, I think already you... People have forgotten 9/11. Yeah. you heard yeah. at the time this was, you know, an unforgettable experience that would scar us forever. But I think many people have already forgotten.
0: It. Yeah, and yeah. those
1: threats still exist. And 48 Hours of Crystal Knocks is designed to remind us of them.
0: Well, Mitchell, thanks so much. We'll have the book in the bookstore, and we'll recommend it.
1: Thanks very much. Always a pleasure to talk
0: to you, Dr. Mitchell Baird. 48 Hours of Crystal Knocks. Night of Destruction, Dawn of the Holocaust in Oral History. I'm Al Cresta.